Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president of ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome program director of the College Internship Program, CIP, Jenna Knaus, to the podcast to talk to us about the ways parents can help their teens ready for adulthood and the community resources that might be available to help. The College Internship Program has locations across the country. They've focused on helping young adults on the spectrum find success in college, employment, and independent living since 1984. I'm excited to learn more. This is such a needed service. Uh, Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, I'm, I'm excited because this is one of those gaps that exist. I think the biggest fear for a lot of families is that transition into complete independence or adulthood. Um, and I'd love to hear from you is, you know, what is that? And I'll call it a wow moment, but what is that time that connected you to say, this is important to me? Yeah, wow, that's a um, great question. Um, I, when I talk to families about this, sometimes I, I love pictures and I love stories. So I ask them to imagine kind of standing over the edge of a cliff and you see something really amazing on the other side, um, but you're just not sure how to get there. And you definitely, you definitely don't want to fall over. Um, and I think that's what um, we try to do here at CAP is, is really just help kind of bridge that gap and provide enough scaffolding such that someone, a young adult, can get to that place. Um, and for me, I think I have so many moments like that here at, um, at CIP, um, but, and, and not without the challenging moments either. Every day it seems like I learn about a new challenge that a young adult is going through, and then we're back to the drawing board trying to figure out how to help them through that. Um, so for me, I mean, I started here as a, a therapist and as um, an educator, I taught social skills courses and it was a huge learning curve because uh, as one of our um, board members, Stephen Shore says, if you meet one person with autism, that's it, you've met one person with autism. Mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of thrown in on the first day and I learned, I, you know, I had done some, um, work in private practice with young adults on the spectrum and certainly read about and knew my research and curriculum. Um, but I started, I think on day one, teaching three or four social skills classes. And I just remember that it, um, it, the students were the first to correct me and the first to tell me what was working and what wasn't. And I'd go back and uh, reconfigure the curriculum and it, it you know I learned a lot and I learned it from the students but um, the moment when things really clicked for me here and I, I, I knew it was where I wanted to be and that this was what I was passionate about um, was probably the one of the first convocation ceremonies that we um, we host convocation uh, every year which is just kind of like our end of year celebration and graduation ceremony um, and and we had to host one virtually at the start of the pandemic, which was a huge transition. Um, but one of the benefits of hosting it over Zoom was that we could invite people who couldn't have, 
wouldn't otherwise be able to attend. And in this instance, we actually had a young man who um, was in our program and had to leave early because he uh, turned out was diagnosed with cancer. Um, but he was able to zoom in from his hospital room um, and he was one of, when he was here, one of the most animated young adults that we had. He was heavily involved in creative arts. He was a student leader and part of the student council. Um, so the fact that he could join us um, was such a huge moment. And we went through the convocation ceremony and at the, um, some of them started asking questions via chat about him and how he was doing. And one of the students commented um, on, his, on his hair. He had lost his hair by that point. Um, and, and he stopped the ceremony. Um, we had you know, about 200 parents and professionals and students present, and it was all over Zoom. And he stopped the ceremony and he said, um, I just want to share that what that student asked me about really hurt my feelings. Um, it was kind of hard for me to, to be asked about something so sensitive. Um, and I had a panic moment, sort of like, what am I going to do and how am I going to manage this over Zoom? Um, and, and to be honest, there was a part of me that was probably thinking, oh my goodness, that, you know, the ceremony is just going to go south. And, and um, there was that piece of me, care, you know, wondering about what other people were thinking. And um, I didn't have to do anything. It was just remarkable. My students jumped in and they began to talk to each other about why that was a sensitive uh, topic and how it could have been managed. And they began to, one, provide some constructive criticism to the person who said it, and number two, jump in and support this, this um, you know, fellow student of theirs and, and tell him all the amazing things that they loved about him. So I guess just in other words, there was just this moment where I was probably tearing up myself because I realized I don't have to do anything. Like all I had to do was hand them the curriculum and try my best to be a, a solid teacher and presence in their life. And they, you know, they absorbed it. And then they took it from there and they, they managed the whole thing. Um, and it was just incredible to see one that, that something had stuck and that they were using it live in their lives that the community, that they felt like they were part of a community and it meant something to them and, and they wanted to kind of get it back on track. That's amazing. I, I would yeah. be so proud of any group to be able to moderate themselves and to be able to take the skills they've done and, and kind of show that honesty, that transparency, that resiliency that you're describing um, of putting themselves out there and talking through and working through a problem. So you definitely did your job there. <laughs> Empowering them was what you were, what you were trying to do is create that community, but also giving them the skills. So it, yeah. maybe you can kind of fill me in a little bit because when I'm hearing this, I'm hearing graduation ceremonies. I'm hearing people developing skills that they're going to translate into everyday life and independence. And I think to myself, you know, we have, we have a bunch of, of, of patients that are, are clients that have come through our system. Mm -hmm. And I see them getting jobs. I see them out in the community. I see them learning to drive. I see relationships. Is this the goal of CIP is to empower people to do whatever it is that, that they're able to access? 
Yeah, yes, absolutely. Our, our goal is first and foremost to, to take a student and meet them where they're at. I think every family here, every student comes in with a story. Sometimes the stories are filled with difficult experiences. They've had to navigate um, you know, IEP meetings in the school environment. Um, they've, some of them have experienced bullying and other difficult um, circumstances in their life. So our program looks at a person as a, as a whole person. Um, it's a comprehensive program. And what we mean by that is that we're trying to help young adults um, develop the skills that they need in every area of their life. So we, we help them develop a, a wellness plan. We certainly emphasize in, independent living skills. So our students live with us in apartments um, on campus and they have about 12 hours of support every week just in the apartment to help them uh, learn to cook and clean and develop a routine and learn the executive function skills that they need in order to carry out that routine. Um, but in addition to that, we help them think about who they are and what they're passionate about and, and form a realistic picture of their strengths and their weaknesses um, and launch into either a career or academic plan or a combination of the two. Um, and I could talk more about what those look like. Um, but underlying all of that, of course, are all the, the social skills, um, the emotional uh, development that they need in order to um, launch into the world as a whole grounded, um, well-rounded individual. Yeah, I mean, all of those opportunities sound amazing. And these opportunities to be able to live independently, but just with some guidance, that wasn't always available. I mean, what did it look like 10 years ago for a lot of these young adults who were diagnosed with autism and they were trying to enter the world? Did they have these resources? No, or there were few, they were few and far between. And, um, our founder, Dr. McMahon, and that's part of the reason that he started this program. And, and our, I'm here in our flagship location in, in Western Massachusetts, and we've been around for over 35 years. So if you go back even that far, um, he recognized, and he himself is, he's a psychologist and is also diagnosed with autism, um, but he recognized that there weren't programs like this. And that in fact, um, at that time, you know, again, rewinding over 35 years, in, individuals were institutionalized. Um, so we've come from all the way from that to say, you know, 10 years ago, where I think we were um, just beginning to uh, develop awareness around this diagnosis and, and what it means, um, and all the way to where we are today, where, you know, you can turn on Netflix and there are probably, I'd probably find four active shows that are depicting something about an individual with autism, which is, which is fantastic. It helps create awareness. Um, but in the other wonderful thing that I think is happening today is that businesses and organizations are, are making space for individuals, um, uh, who are on the spectrum and not just making space for them within their organization, but also recognizing that they bring a unique skill set and, and talents that, that I don't have, that you don't have, that, you know, I mean, we're all unique, but um, some of our students here, when they really understand what they're capable of and passionate about and how that might translate into a, a job someday, 
um, we recognize that they bring something that nobody else does. And I think that's where we are now. And, um, you know, but 10 years ago, we were just starting this conversation, I think. Absolutely. And uh, most of the schooling situations, most of the treatment options are about helping the child within their environment that they're in. And it has been focused on the pre-education, the elementary education, all the way through high school and social skill development. But there is that cliff. Um, Yeah. It hasn't been an easy transition. And you've talked to a lot of these teens and their families what what did they say? What what's their experience like? Thinking about leaving the school system, thinking about not having those supports, or if they had accommodations or modifications to what was going on in their daily routine, is that is there fear? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it's the the first thing that people say when they if they're here on a tour. I'm just talking to them. I I don't know what comes next, or I. I have some idea in mind, but I don't know how to get there. Um, and I think it's, you know, and they'll, they've come from a pretty structured setting where um, for the most part, uh, if you talk to the, the young person, they will say that they've been part of meetings and kind of talked, um, talked about, but not necessarily to. Um, and so we, we try, even from day one during our tours here to put students in the driver's really emphasize that we're trying to help them um, really take charge of their their lives but it's it's you know what does that actually look like and we have some you know we set that up here at CIP by first starting with a support system that's our staff and um, to, to kind of wrap around the student and help them begin to understand what they need moving forward but even for individuals who don't have that I think I think you can create it um, and I think it's a matter of potentially breaking it down into different categories. So, for example, you know, what does a post-secondary um, learning setting look like uh, for me? And what did my accommodations look like in high school? And how can, I, how can I make sure I get those in college? And sometimes it's a matter of finding the right professional who can help translate for you and, and help you learn the language so that then you can advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be a therapist. It could be a, a coach who specializes um, in this kind of work. Uh, it could be a tutor. Um, like sometimes it starts with parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine even a peer. I mean, from your first story, sure. Jenna, it sounds like peers are, are probably that first line of, of defense and information anyhow. Yeah. The, um, so when you're talking about this, this transition, and I mean, I guess it's putting it into perspective of you have somebody entering into a, a new world, self-determination. I appreciate the fact that your organization brings people into the dialogue about themselves. <laughs> it seems like uh, something that logically we all should do, but it's missing sometimes. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing that transition, somebody, and I'm, I'll use college education as, as our vehicle to talk through this, is what, what does that look like? I mean, are there specific people that you're bringing in to make sure that there's success? Is it about the routine of college? Is it about navigating those relationships? Even knowing, you know, how do I invite people out for dinner after classes? I mean, does it hit on everything? Yes, yes. So we could take 
college. And, and one of the things that we do here is we offer a course called Introduction to Post-Secondary Learning. Um, and the idea behind that course is, is one to help students um, better understand their learning and listening styles. And number two, to, to really understand what post-secondary learning looks like, because it we we just go immediately to the to college, right? It might be I'm going to I'm thinking about um, transferring to a university, but it could also be a trade school. It could be that you're launching directly into a career and you're going to take a certificate course um, or you're going to um, do an apprenticeship. It could be something as um, what sounds as simple as taking a, a driver's a learning permit test. Um, that's a form of studying for that as a form of learning and you, you can request accommodations for that test and you have to figure out, you know, how to share with someone your diagnosis or that you have accommodations for, for that driving test. Um, but we, first of all, want to help a person understand what post-secondary learning is and where they might fit in there. Um, second, it, it is if, let's say we're going to, you're thinking about going to college, um, then we're looking at the accommodations you had in high school and really putting language to that as in translating, what does that actually look like uh, in a college class? And the next step is, or the next question is, how do I communicate that to my professor? Um, so we often will accompany students uh, to meetings with their professors and help them practice the language they need to talk about their accommodations. Um, because I think, unfortunately, many young people um, assume that if you hand a set of accommodations over to a college professor, that that's it. They're suddenly going to magically be put in place. Um, but actually, for many um, professors, you have to you have to share with them what the what you what these accommodations look like in real time, um, and and kind of break it down for them. So we help them develop that language. Sometimes we join them in those sessions. Um, but beyond that, and I think that's where it could stop short, um, how do you navigate a college life? And um, so one of the things we do is we bring students to the college gym and the cafeteria. Um, we use a social skills curriculum and then practice it on college campus um, so, that, so that it you know, transfers from the classroom to the real world. Um, so it's really approaching it from a social emotional, I think, uh, social emotional angles is so important. Sometimes it also means, you know, talking to your therapist about um, how you're feeling in class if social anxiety is an issue for you or um, something happened with a classmate and, and that, you know, kind of reminded you of something that happened earlier in high school and how are you going to navigate through that. Um, so we try, we try not to miss any angle, I guess. Um, you know, it sounds like you're hitting a ton of angles through that process. But when I'm listening to what you all are helping to be able to allow people to access, I mean, it's driving, it's class selections, it's uh, peer relationships, it's navigating the world around them. It's helping people to really get to their passions in making it a viable path forward so that they're not being hindered by anything is that they can really explore what's important to them. Is, th is there anything that you do and, and maybe it's through the intake process, maybe it's through discussions to help people to realize, you know, how to make their passions real life work or how to be able to make sure that everything they're hoping to be able to do is that they have a vehicle to get there? 
Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that our, um, one of the concepts that our career coordinator is kind of first to introduce to people is something called the iceberg theory. And I'm sure we, this comes up and can be used in a lot of different ways. But in this case, um, he's really encouraging a student to think about what they're passionate about and, and what, how that might translate into something they're interested in. And so, for example, let's say a student loves animals. Um, and they think they might want to work with animals someday. And this is a common theme. And, and they say, I think I want to be a vet tech. Um, that what you see at the top of the iceberg there, I think, is that you get to work with animals. And it sounds wonderful, right? But one of the things that we really dig into is what does that actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And what are the technical skills um, and the, the transferable skills or the soft skills that you need in order to do that kind of work? So beneath the iceberg might be that you've got to get pretty dirty every day. You're maybe, you know, handle, handling animal fur and feces or um, having to transport them from one room to another. So you have to lift them. Um, and sometimes students, you know, they uh, realize in that moment that, that what's beneath the iceberg isn't exactly what, what they're interested in every day. But we can still take that love of animals and, and think outside the box and think about how, you know, how they might be able to turn that into a career. So, for example, one student, um, he loves the animals and he loves to be around people and he loves to talk. And so perhaps if he loves, you know, something that he's thinking about is, is potentially training emotional support animals and um, bringing them into um, assisted living facilities. So that's, you know, kind of one way that we we take what a student's passionate about, we try to think realistically um, and help them really self-reflect and develop self-awareness around what they love versus you know, what they're um, capable of. And we all have to do this. We all have sometimes those moments where we, we realize that we're challenged in different ways. I can think of you know, things that have happened to me in the past week or so where I realized, oh, maybe that's not what I'm cut out for mm -hmm. um, or where my strength lies. Um, but we really try to dig into it with them and break things down into smaller steps and, um, and, and paint a clear picture of what they're looking, looking at and then really think outside the box, mm -hmm. um, which we did with that student. And I think I've heard you say twice now, once was that, you know, you got to meet people with where they're at. The second mm -hmm. one being that you, you meet somebody who um, is autistic is that you've met one person. You don't know the skill sets of everybody. And you'll have people in the career world who are doctors. Uh, you'll have lawyers. You'll have accountants, engineers. You'll have cooks. You'll have vet techs who uh, identify autistic. And what's interesting is that your program, the way that it's designed, it sounds like it's something that could be inclusive for a variety of people. Um, I, I just listened to some of the skills you're talking about. My daughters would benefit from it. Do you try and include a, uh, a variety of neurodiversity into the programs to be able to create mentorship models or to be able to share information so that maybe autistics are guiding those around them on, you know, these are my skills? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's such a wonderful question. Um, and I'll start by sharing that not every person in our program has an autism diagnosis. Some come in uh, with a learning difference diagnosis. Some 
uh, with ADHD, others who, um, you know, are struggling to launch and, um, but will say that they have a lot of anxiety and that that may be contributing to what's going on. Um, and so not, if, not every student in our program has an autism diagnosis. Um, and, and we also have international students, which is really incredible. Um, and they bring, of course, um, when we're working with them, we might be working with a diagnosis or a learning difference. Uh, we also might be working with cultural differences and we have to adapt our social skills curriculum, for example, to take into account, you know, how they, how their culture approaches something. Um, but beyond that, um, we also work with social mentors or peer mentors. Um, we try to bring in college students um, and master's level students who are working um, either in the field of mental health or human services, um, who are actually pretty close in age to a lot of our students um, and, and work with them more um, or side by side, I should say, sometimes in the apartments, having meals with them, taking them out to lunch, going to the library together. Um, and in that case, you know, that's more of a peer, peer to peer, peer mentorship um, opportunity. Um, so that one, our students are exposed to all different kinds of people. And, and number two, so that the community around us is getting to know our students and, and working with them and can see how, how incredible they are. Yeah, Ed, the way that you're describing this, and I'm just watching it, I know this is a clinical program or the program for independent living or the way that it's so comprehensive. But I also, I, I take a step back and I look is that this is something that maybe as a community, we should all be doing. We should all be trying mm -hmm. to figure out these vehicles. We should be getting the resources out there as, as organizations like yours make it so that it's accessible. But maybe it's a mindset too that we all need to start changing and asking the questions and figuring out these resources and helping one another. So what advice do you have for, for teens who maybe are right now, they're, they're doing great in high school, but they have that fear of entering into adulthood. What should they be doing? Should they be reaching out? Should they be talking with others? What's your, what's your recommendation? Yeah, I, I think you hit on a passion of mine. So I'm glad we get to talk about this. Um, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think I was sharing earlier that um, I wish that I had a program like this when I was in college. Um, we have a course here called Relationships and Intimacy Development, and um, we cover everything from dating to, you know, boundaries and relationships to healthy sexual practices. Um, we have a course on online, online safety, and I think to myself, um, you know, I could have used those kind of classes, um, and so could my sisters. Um, and I, I work with a, a handful of young people in private practice who are neurotypical. And I think to myself, they could use a program like this. Um, but my, and, and in the, and the world is getting more and more difficult to navigate. And I think young people today have so much more, so many more complicated and confusing things that they're facing. Um, and so, yes, I think it, colleges or any post-secondary learning setting would do well to um, bolster up their curriculum around social emotional development and just basic life skills. I mean, I don't know, I think I had a tiny bit of this in college, but how many of us learned about, you know, our credit scores? And I remember having, you know, seeing banks outside 
the student center when I was a college student, you know, trying to get us to sign up for credit cards. But there was no curriculum around it. We didn't really know what we were signing up for. Um, so I think my advice to young people is, is to build a support team. Um, a big part of transition and building resilience is having a solid support team around you. And you don't have to have a program like CIP to do that. Um, but a sort of support team is everyone from your mentors to trusted family members. It could include a therapist, a life coach. Um, you know, I'm not saying you have to go out and hire five professionals to see every week. Um, it could be, you know, calling up an aunt who you know is really good with finances. Um, and that's a free service, hopefully. <laughs> um, but, and, and, and actually explicitly saying, would you be part of my team, as corny as that might sound, um, but I'm gonna need some help um, and I'd like to talk to you about finances or um, I'm interested in this career, but I don't actually know a lot about it. Could I come shadow you for a day? Um, so just thinking creatively about who you might need on your support team and, and asking directly for them to be part of it and considering them as one of the people that you could reach out to um, whether it's navigating, you know, the cafeteria on a college campus or uh, the registrar's office or, you know, figuring out how to ask for accommodations on a driving test. Um, but I think that's the biggest advice is that I th we think we're in it alone. Um, and sometimes our culture, especially here in America, emphasizes that. <laughs> um, but we need a community. And I think we've learned that in this pandemic, that community is everything and we need community more than we probably think or, or would uh, like to admit. <laughs> for sure. And I, I appreciate the fact that you said that because you look at most successful people in the world in general, it's these are people that probably reached out to learn new skills, never were hesitant to ask questions, to gain more information, brought in people, built a network, which is that community, built a team around them. And I think that the more that we could in, teach that skill at an early age, and especially with those that we're trying to empower around us and our children, and in, in, this, in this context uh, for us as children with autism, is how do we give them the skill to ask for help, know what they know and what they don't know, and continue to build a repertoire of skills so that they are so empowered in the world around them that they can't be knocked down. I think that's super important to realize. Well, I appreciate, Jenna, your, your time today. I and mean, I will say is that uh, when you said comprehensive, uh, I don't think I took that into, into heart until I started hearing everything that you're looking at and everything that you're trying to do. But I think there isn't a piece that I would disagree with. I think it's a wonderful program. Um, and I hope to have you back on again sometime because those pieces that you were talking about specifically, it would be fun to dig deep into those. Thank you. And thank you for having me, Jeff. And before we take off, I know that you said that CIP is something that um, it's, it's more than just in Massachusetts, which is where your flagship yes. is. Yeah. And there are similar programs out there, but where are the resources found? Sure. Yes. So, well, you're right. We have five different locations. And the nice thing about that is that we 
we all use the same curriculum, but the culture at each center is, is very different. Um, for example, I'm here in a small town. I love it. Um, there's a lot to do out here, um, a lot of um, outdoor activities and cultural events. Um, but we have a site in Berkeley, which is, you know, if you're interested in a huge city and being part of that energy, then that's a very different culture. Um, but you, um, the best way to access our resources is through cipworldwide.org. Um, and you can read about us there. Uh, but you can, there are also, um, you know, we're in the, the age of Zoom and technology. So we have some uh, virtual tours that you can access online on that website as well. Um, and then our, can connect with an enrollment specialist who can tell you about, um, you know, all the things you mentioned, all the, all the details that we could have gone into today. Well, I appreciate that. And I do recommend that everybody reach out and take a look at this information because it, it's vital for that success and transition. And, um, and once again, Jenna, we, we do hope to have you back on again and appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank you.